I've got these jalapeno M&Ms with me, and, and I got them with me in part because we're talking about eating in community, and I first encountered these while we were eating in community. I was in Georgia with the Order of the Flame through World Methodist Evangelism, and in one of the afternoons where we had about two hours of free time, uh, I found myself in conversation with a, with a guy from Michigan, where, and we were having a great chat about life and ministry and worship leading, that kind of thing. But then we got pulled in on a Walmart run. Classic. Classic. With with a guy from the Philippines, a guy from Romania, and a guy who grew <laughs> up in Brazil but now lives in D.C. And while we were there, we were there because the guy from the Philippines had to go to Walmart while he was in the States. This was an important thing to get done. And so um, the three of us who live here all the time went just for the heck of the, the journey, right? Mm-hmm. And so we found ourselves in Walmart in Georgia standing in front of the women's clothing section from the because the guy Danny was buying clothes for his family for the trip home and it's just a whole lot easier to buy them and stuff them in the suitcase and get them home and but there are three random white dudes uh standing in front of the women's clothing section <laughs> at Walmart um in community talking about Jesus and we decided to take a slightly awkward thing and make it more awkward by eating in community when we saw these jalapeno oh. peanut M&Ms. And so we did the thing that the people in Walmart hate. We ripped open the bag and started popping them in the aisle there. That along is so the weird to me. It, we I paid people, for them. I know. I know. But it's just weird. Well, you don't see that in other grocery stores. You don't have children yet. It happens in a <laughs> lot of grocery stores along the way. Uh, if they are exhausted and tired and grouchy. Um, see, it doesn't bother me when it's a kid. Just three socially awkward adults standing in front of the women's clothing section in Walmart? Yes. Hey, you guys want to go to Walmart and get some Sour Patch Kids? Should I send Patrick with (laughs) y'all? That's it. It's all good. Um, So to to decrease the awkwardness, we saw these crazy M&Ms and said, we have to try these things. So we opened them up. And I brought some here today because y'all both looked at me like I was crazy when I started talking about these things, these jalapeno M&Ms. They're, they're actually pretty good. And so as we get started talking about eating in community, we will actually eat some of these. So these are like part of, they do, oh, I like that they're just yellow and green. Are all of them yellow and green? Yes, they are all, well, there's some red, some oh, red there's in the a bottom. Red. Okay, yeah. okay. Still appropriately colored. Yes. I'm just going to keep talking to prolong having to eat this. There you go. Um... People love podcasts where they just listen to people eat. That's right. right. It tastes like a peanut M&M thus far. That was my impression. So the first bag we ever had tasted like peanut M&Ms, and there's late heat. The bag I got when I got home to share with April, the heat was very forward. It hit you early, and and she was just like, no, I'm done. I'm (laughs) I'm not having this anymore. But I really like these. They're very good. I'm Okay. That's not bad. It's like building. I've only had one at this point, and it took it a very long moment to appear, and I feel like it's still going. But I had a bad experience with jalapenos a few years ago where I made jalapeno poppers at home that mm-hmm. we baked, and we were we were eating in community, and we had a couple over, and Patrick and this couple, they all took one, I took one, and we all bit into one at the, about the same time. And I, like, tears just started coming down my face. And all of them were looking at me like, it's just a jalapeno. You've had many a jalapeno before. What's your problem? And I had gotten, we had, like, one or two 
just crazy spicy jalapenos and the rest mm. were mild and they had all gotten the mild one and I had gotten the crazy spicy one and later another one did find that other half of mine and mm. was like okay Melissa's not crazy she's not a sissy uh, this is Ever actually since terrible then I'm I'm very like skeptical of jalapenos <laughs> like in the title or a straight jalapeno popper I'll still eat it if it's like disguised in my salsa right but there, there is some some leery anxiety yes, at the yes. back end going, eh, am I really sure I want to do this? Well, there you go. That is really interesting. I think we have so many moments in our lives when we eat in community that uh, things pop in different ways, right? Sometimes it's that flavor pop that pops that makes you cry. And, and, right. and sometimes there are things that you've heard or seen that have happened any number of times before that take on whole new meaning and experience when we are here together in community, eating in community, because one of the things that happens when we eat in community is we slow down, right? We're not quite as fast. We're not quite as um, quick to move and always be on the move. Welcome to the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. I'm non-Pastor Michael. We are so thankful that you have joined us with us today. We are continuing on this Lenten journey, looking at what Jesus did and asking what would Jesus do if he were walking in our shoes and our steps today. Uh, today we're looking at Luke's Gospel, chapters 10 through 12, if you're looking for kind of a scriptural range along the way, looking at a couple of the 10 different moments where Jesus eats in community in the Gospel of Luke. I was going to ask. Oh. I was going to see if y'all knew how many times Jesus eats in the Gospel of Luke. Yes, I do, because you wrote it into our sermon scopes, oh. and so I read it there, <laughs> and uh, I learned something. That's a good little, right? Like, yeah. Luke uses narrative and geography and food to move his story along, to help us follow along with Jesus, and so felt very appropriate when we landed in chapter 10, and we see a couple different instances and moments of, of Jesus eating in community, and even sending out the 72 right at the beginning of, of chapter 10, um, which isn't even where we've spent a lot of time, you know, in our efforts focusing on this passage. But even when Jesus sends out the 72, it's all about, will the people let you in your home to mm -hmm. eat? Yeah. <laughs> there, he sends them out with the expectation of hospitality. Yes. The expectation that there will be Marthas along the way who are working like crazy to make sure that they have a space not only to eat, but to be engaged with along the way. Um, and, and I got to say, this by default is my favorite moment in this series because I love food and I love Jesus. And when we bring the two together, life's really pretty good. It's a win-win. It's a perfect match. Um, it's a little better than than jalapeno peanut M&Ms. Those are good, but they're not quite quite that good. So I was going to say M&Ms. You want to start using M&Ms for communion? It could I work. don't think Bishop Lowry would be okay with that. You know, I once heard a church planner talk about <laughs> um, their because it was their final week mm -hmm. in their portable space. And they'd been meeting in a movie theater for two and a half years. And the final week they had communion in this space before they moved into their permanent space. 
they had communion with Dr. Pepper and popcorn. Mm. And, and their bishop was okay with it because of the symbolism involved yeah. with uh, the move and that part of their shared life together. Now, the next week, they were back to, to King's Hawaiian and Welch's, and it was oh, all good. official oh, and, on the, and on the... Very Methodist. Yes, on the, on the level. So it was all good. So maybe a little stronger than just the lead pastor likes this brand of food. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Personal preference uh, was not the, the primary motivator there. Yeah. Important. I'm, uh, I also, so at the end of this uh, story of the 72 being sent out, I also like, so I like food and I like Jesus and I also like happy things. And so I was captured by Luke chapter 10, verse 21. And it says, at that very moment, Jesus overflowed with joy mm. from the Holy Spirit and then turns around to praise God. But I just love that, that, you know, I think sometimes when we are following Jesus and when we're just thinking about the things Jesus did, we put him in such a serious place all the time. Mm. Jesus was very serious and boring. Almost but, sterile. Yes. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah, maybe not. Boring is probably a good word. Sterile is a good word. It's just almost emotionless. Mm. Versus here we have this moment of, of joy. Yeah. Um, was it last week that we were, where Jesus was determined? Right. You know, Jesus shows the array of human emotions. When he gets into the temple, he's going to be angry. He's going to be angry. He's not yeah. tossing over tables with a big smile on his face, right? right? Or even yeah. with just sort of a neutral face. There, there's frustration and anger in there. Yeah. He weeps. He, he weeps. weeps. Yeah. A couple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and we see him, like I imagine him going along the roadside with the disciples, experiencing all those arrays of that um, being their teacher, being their friend, be mm-hmm. there's probably times of laughter where they're just talking. And there are serious moments too, you know, yeah. where Jesus has to correct some, some thought processes of theirs along the way. Um, well, much that, like that yeah. correction shows up in a number of places, right? And mm-hmm. the whole Lucan journey, especially once he puts his foot in the ground and is determined yeah. to go to Jerusalem, highlights this upside-down kingdom of God, right, where the way God works is different than most of us would expect in our normal um, ways of doing things, right? And so sometimes you come to those places where it's like the normal mode says to do X, Mm. but the upside-down kingdom says that we should do Y instead, which I think is really an interesting uh, way of getting into this story of Mary and Martha, right? Yeah. Um, it is often held up as a as a story in which we have a clear, be like this person and don't be like this person, right? Um, where Jesus is on this road and he comes into the home of Mary and Martha and, and is received with radical hospitality. Yeah. The way the scripture reads, I can just see Martha buzzing, can't you? Mm-hmm. Right? She... Martha welcomed him as a guest, and and as Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet listening to his message, Martha, by contrast, was preoccupied with getting everything ready for the meal, right? Doing everything. Have y'all watched The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel on Amazon Prime? I have not. No. Oh, oh my goodness. Y'all have to watch it. It's okay. So it's this, it's this Jewish family in the... Um, 
40s living in New York. Okay. And, and so they're uptown New Yorkers. And there's this big moment in one of the episodes where the rabbi is coming to break Seder at their house. Oh. So that's what I see, Martha. I see Mrs. Maisel and I see Mrs. Maisel's mom rushing about and they go to the butcher um, shop and there is just these massive crowds trying to place their orders with with the butcher. But then you hear um, Mrs. Maisel's um, voice ring out above the crowd, we got the rabbi. And so she gets to cut in front of everyone <laughs> to get her lamb and then oh, be awesome. on her way. So that's what I see, what I see Martha, because it even says in the story that Martha is the one, um, it says in verse 38 of chapter 10, that while Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. So she's the one who's done the invitation. So mm. Mrs. Maisel's mother is the one who did the invitation of Rabbi come and eat. And it's mm. this big deal for well, them. What's the Methodist equivalent of hollering out across the butcher shop, we got the <laughs> rabbi! I don't know. You I know, don't know the if they want us to my childhood, eat they're, they're, you know, We got the fried chicken and the preacher's coming over, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so we see this this place in the story where Martha welcomes Jesus as a guest, right? That, that active being out in the community, in the village, welcoming yeah. Jesus in, drawing him in. And, and she is making ready, I think, living into radical Jewish hospitality, right? Mm-hmm. This is highly upheld as a value that is yeah. not to be overlooked and not to be forgotten. And, you know, when we look at the teachings of Jesus, even, many of the parables show when people violate that expectation of hospitality, yeah. right? And the kingdom of God is a place in which that hospitality exists. Yeah. And so I think Luke intends his reader to to be on Martha's side as the story is going, right? To to sort of side with Martha to say, mm-hmm. you know, she's doing everything to make ready for Jesus. Yeah. They naturally would be. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a question of whether or not uh, Luke meant to convey this from her perspective. Uh, I think the original audience would hear it and go, well, yeah, Martha's doing exactly what she should be doing, right? And that's where Jesus comes in and wants to show her something different, something different from her status quo. I remember um, the first time I remember encountering this story was probably sometime in high school or college, and I had a more flat reading of it, of, of not thinking about the Jewish culture and not thinking about that the audience is probably on Martha's side, right? And so as a good little Christian girl, I'm always trying to read it from Jesus's side, right? Like I'm going to mm-hmm. be on Jesus's side. So for Jesus to take Mary's side, I was stunned because for me, I think I can better relate to Martha mm-hmm. um, because I'm someone who I love hosting people. I love putting on events and all of these kinds of things. But as I dug into it, and this isn't, you know, high school, early college age, Melissa that figured this out. This is much more mature Melissa exiting her 20s, um, Melissa, who figured it out of, of why that rubbed me and why I couldn't figure out how to be a Mary or what the value mm. in being a Mary was. And it's the shift between hospitality as a value, a good biblical value, to when we use our gifts to become a wall 
that we put up to keep us from actually encounter what's going on. Mm. So Martha is so busy and so preoccupied with the little details. And and I say that and it might sound harsh and when I read when I say that though, really I can insert my own name there. When Melissa mm. is so caught up with the little details, she misses the opportunity. I miss the opportunity to just be present mm. with who has showed up to my table or who has showed up in my community um, rather than actually engaging with them, which is exactly what we see Mary doing, Mary realizing that the important thing here isn't to be caught up in the details and the typical preparation. And yes, there's still hospitality that can be shown, but the rabbis come. You know, when you prepare for people yeah. to come over, the house is prepared. It's ready. Maybe there's a couple things left to do, but the good hostess is is ready at that point. And so the rest of the work can be set down so that you can be in Mary's place. Well, it's been really helpful for me because it's interesting the, the way gender dynamics play in this, mm-hmm. right? I was never raised to be a Mary or a Martha, right? That was <laughs> yeah. not a part of the conversation in my life. I mean, um, but the, the dynamic going on of, of who gets the public version of you Mm. versus who gets the private version of you? Who do you, who gets the real yeah. you? Because so often when we're in spaces of intentional hospitality, the the version of hospitality we've been given is the making everything big and beautiful and perfect and, and presentable mm-hmm. for public consumption, right? And I think sometimes we not only do that with our houses, with our spaces, but we do it with our spirits and with our souls, right? And, and in doing that, as you said, we put a wall up. Um, despite our best intentions between us and, and the Spirit of God living and breathing in the person we're supposed to be creating space for. Again, it's that sense of how I don't think it's that Jesus is angrily rebuking Martha. Sometimes yeah. it's kind of told in that way, and I, and I don't think so. I, I think that Jesus is speaking those gentle truths to people, and I think he's doing it here to Martha. But just that idea of, like to me it echoes the idea when we talk about radical hospitality, that idea that when we focus too much on the doing, we lose who we're there for, who the guest of honor is. And so like whether or not that's God in any particular moment or our neighbor, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's those good things that we do that get in the way of making strong connections with people. And are we Mm -hmm. willing to sit at people's feet and listen to their stories? Or are we willing to sit at God's feet and listen to God's voice? Yeah. The more that I have encountered the story and the more that I have encountered, you know, because I came to Methodism later, right? Um, So the more that I encountered Wesleyan grace and began to really see God through that lens, the more I heard Jesus's voice change in the way that I read the story, especially Mm. just kind of like where you were lifting up, Michael, you know, Mary, um, or sorry, Martha is... Maybe she's frustrated. Maybe she. this is her sister. Mary is her sister. So maybe she just wants to tattle on her sister. Or she's Dude. been the little sister who forever, never yeah. got her stuff together and, yep. and never helped out. And so this is just one more thing. And here is Jesus, of all people, who should get the Jewish value system. Yes. It's Jesus. So come on, Jesus. Right. Be on my side. Yeah. So, you know, as all of this ramps up in her to lead her to this point... Um, Or even if it's just that she's uncomfortable 
on Jesus's behalf that Mary is sitting mm-hmm. in a place that Mary is not supposed to sit. That's supposed to be for men to sit at the feet of a rabbi. So maybe she's trying to appease the situation. Um, to fix the status quo. To fix quo. the status quo, right. So whatever it is that leads Martha to this moment in the story of just saying like, um, you know, tell her to help me, Lord, right? <laughs> um, and, and Jesus's answer when I first read it, you know, it was this very angry, like, Martha, Martha, like, yeah. what What do you mean? Like, you're worried, you're distracted by many things. Like, no, Mary's place is the better place, right? Yeah. To where the more I read it, it's not about you did wrong, but it's, it's grace and it's love that Jesus is showing of, like, don't be worried about Mary. Yeah. Care for yourself. Like, so you, so you hear it again in verse 41 of, the Lord answered, Martha, Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things. One thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the better part. It won't be taken away from her. So there is this sternness, right, of, of much like a good teacher of this, you know, I'm not going to take away what the student has done right, but I'm also going to have a care for you in this moment. The reading shifts from judgment first, which is how you mm-hmm. first encountered it, yes. to grounded in empathy and yep. sympathy, right? It's, I care for you, Martha, enough yeah. that I'm going to speak the truth here, but I'm going to do it with care. Mm-hmm. And in a way, he's validating uh, both of them uh, and saying, you know, Martha, you're doing what you feel needs to be done right now. Yeah. Uh, Mary's choosing what she feels needs to be done right now. And so we often have that temptation, especially in religion, uh, to decide for other people what they need and who they need to be uh, and how they need to act. And I think Jesus, as we see in the ways he interacts with people, he so often just lets them be first. And again, this goes back to that prevenient grace within Wesleyan theology. I mean, I I think it Hmm. all just really starts there. Talk about often in church, we use the phrase, Jesus meets people where they are. And I don't think we often really unpack what we're talking about when we say that, right? Mm-hmm. We think, well, Jesus yeah. meets them if they're in Capernaum. He meets them in Capernaum. He meets, <laughs> you know, but as much, that's a spirit space where Jesus meets them, yeah. right? He meets Martha, Martha in her buzzing. Mm-hmm. And he meets Mary, Mary in her place of deep learning and connection, right? And in both of those spaces, invites along a journey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. It's also interesting how the story that immediately precedes this one is the Good Samaritan, where, you know, the, the Good Samaritan is held up as this person who is going and doing things. And in the end, he even says, go and do likewise. Uh, he's talking about doing things. And then it's immediately followed by a story about him validating someone who isn't doing things. They're mm-hmm. just sitting quietly. And, and again, it's that idea of, you know, like it's not either or, or, it's both and. And certain situations call for doing, and certain situations can call for sitting and being silent and not doing. What I think is powerful in the midst of this, especially given the point that you've just made, is so we flip over a page or two to the middle of, of verse or of chapter 11, beginning with verse 37, where Jesus has one more meal during this chunk of Scripture that we're looking at, right? Where he's mm-hmm. eating in communities, eating with the Pharisees, yeah. right? And, and 
he's invited to share a meal with them. And because he's for sharing meals with everybody, he says, sure, I'll come. Let's go. But he has some expectations going in, or at least it seems as though he has some expectations going in. Because for those of you who don't remember, the Pharisees were the group, uh, it was a lay group of lay people in the day of Jesus. They, they weren't clergy. They were an active lay people group who deeply believed that if they could just live a perfect life, if they could just live a sin-free life, God would send the Redeemer who would take Rome out of their life and free them from Roman oppression and occupation, right? And so part of the reason why God hadn't done that yet was the ongoing, active, sinful choices of, of the people. They were the people who had lots of boxes that people had to check, right? Lots of rules you had to follow, but if we could just be perfect in the following of the rules, in the checking of the boxes, then God would do good. And, and it caused them to be radical enforcers of the rules, radical enforcers of the boxes that they use to sort of block people in, right? And so they invite Jesus to dinner, and he knows who they are. And so the first thing he does at the dinner is, is he doesn't wash his hands, right? He doesn't yeah. ritually cleanse himself knowing it's going to set him off. And Such an instigator. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, an instigator of this upside-down kingdom. And what happens in the midst of this is he launches into these long judgmental things, but the core of what he's getting at is that the spirit with which you live your life matters more than whether you check all the boxes and whether you follow all the rules. And so, Michael, as you say earlier, there are times for active going and doing, and there are times for sitting and resting and living in deep connection. It, it speaks to this to me because... Anytime we get too caught up in the specific, here is your box, and you have to check all these boxes in order to live. Here are all these rules that you have to follow in order to live according to God's will and God's way. We lose the, about, the ability to have a discerning spirit, right, that says, okay, this is a season for active going and doing, or this is a time for sitting and resting. And as Jesus says, the spirit, it matters more than whether you've checked all the boxes or followed all the rules, or done everything absolutely perfect. I couldn't help but sort yeah. of see that tension in how yeah. Jesus speaks to the power of our spirit, our intention mm -hmm. in that space of tension. Yeah. Do you wash the inside of the cup or the outside of the cup first, as mm -hmm. Jesus would put it to the mm -hmm. Pharisees? But I love it because it even taps into chapter 12 where Jesus is still, he's he's done with dinner with the Pharisees, right? Where, right. where he's told them, obviously you wash the inside of the cup first, right? Because all the stuff, the gunk from the inside is going to go to the outside. Then you clean the outside. But then he's still warning his disciples. Like mm -hmm. he needs his disciples to really hone in on this, that you can... Have y'all ever met someone who like checks all the boxes, but you still feel like there's something off about you <laughs> versus someone who doesn't check boxes, right? But you know that their spirit is in the right place, right? So yeah. it's like Jesus needs this point to be driven home to the disciples. And so he goes on to say, watch out for the yeast of the mm. Pharisees. So, you know, here it is. Jesus isn't eating in this moment, but yet, as we see in his parables, in his teaching methods time and time again, we see Jesus using food as a way to teach us. Mm. Um, mm. Have y'all ever made bread from scratch? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. And it, it, it was making, I was reflecting on that of, of what, you know, Jesus makes it clear by saying, you know, um, 
in chapter 12, verse 1, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees. I mean the mismatch between their hearts and lives. But it just got me thinking about what, what about yeast does that, you know, mm. why is that the metaphor? Um, so that was something I was kind of playing with in my head. And I don't know if I have a, a strong answer. Well, when you make, when you make mm-hmm. bread, right, it, it's it water right. and mm-hmm. flour and yeast in a lot of yeah. I mean, yeast is the activator. It, it's the active ingredient. It's the thing that brings life to, you know, causes a lump of dough that's the size of your fist to fill a bowl three times the size yeah. of your fist, right? It's the thing that gives life. And so in many ways in bread making, yeast is where the power lies. Mm-hmm. And, and that activator is like the foundation of where the Pharisees are coming from. Like, it's almost as if Jesus is saying, you know, if these Pharisees are going to get what I'm talking about, we need to start over. Mm. We need new yeast. Mm. So, like, when you when you um, you make bread, right, you leave it to what it's called proof, which basically is you just leave it on the countertop to rise. But if you overproof the bread, there's no going back. It's going to be a bad batch of bread. So what I hear you saying, Michael, is, is that, the Pharisees have overproofed their mm. bread. Mm. <laughs> yeah, and, and that idea of getting the foundation right, getting the yeast right, because it's the active ingredient, it's the it's the thing that gives power and meaning in life. Mm-hmm. I, because when we look at chapter 12 here, Jesus starts by saying, beware of their yeast, but then he also gives other warnings to, I mean, it's sort of like he's like, here's the big picture. Now we're yeah. going to drill down into some specific places in your life where your relationships with things, where your spirit about things can get off, right? Mm-hmm. He has words about greed, yeah, words about our relationship with our money and our, with our stuff and, and encouragements not to, to lay up great abundant extra mm-hmm. um, in this life to sort of create space to trust God. We see words of warning about our worry. Because often it's worry. Worry about those we love, worry about the people we're connected to and committed to, but also worry about our stuff and our material stuff that can get in the way of being a space where that yeast of Christ sort of has power and activation and meaning in our lives. So really, then, perhaps where we land isn't that they've overproofed, but that it's time for the baker to come back in because when the yeast does its work, you know, it rises. But then the next thing the baker has to do is knead it back down mm. to knock some of the air out of it, <laughs> bring it back down to size. The hot air. The hot of... air out of it, <laughs> literally. Yes. Yeah, I think that, that there is some there. that and, and this whole section that we're looking at closes with Jesus' recommendation about being prepared. Mm. Right, and I think that hits to yeah. you know we can't be prepared if we're full of the hot air of our greed, of our worry, of having our spirit be in the wrong place, being worried about sometimes even like Pharisees worried about living not only ourselves in all of the boxes with all the rules, but watching other people to find yeah. the place where they stumble, where they don't check the box, where they don't follow the rules. And if we're in that space, we can't have this time of preparation, this time of tamping down and re-needing to get the extra out yeah. and keep what's life-giving and powerful and meaning.
Thank you for gathering with us this week on the Gather, Grow, Go podcast. I'm Pastor Daniel. I'm Pastor Melissa. And I'm non-Pastor Michael. If you enjoyed what you listened to today, we invite you to subscribe on iTunes, like us, review us, share with your friend, text the link out. If you don't know how to do that, come see us in the office. We will happily show you how to do that. Bring your phone or your computer and we will do that along the way. We love being in conversation. One of the best parts of my week this last week was uh, being able to talk to a number of you who said, you know, I've never done podcasting before, <laughs> but I really kind of like it. Um, and it has been an opportunity for growth for you during the week. This week, as we think about how we can grow, I know that I will be eating in community with Pastor Andres from our partner church in Cuba. I look forward to hearing about his experience in the growing of the church in Cuba, learning more about his culture, one that I don't know as much about as I would love to, and being able to just to share time in community with him. Pastor Melissa, I know you're getting outside of your comfort zone this week as well. Yeah, Patrick and I are taking some vacation time. We're going to go to Big Ben and spend some time there. So by the time you're listening to this podcast, I will be disconnected from everything and out in nature hiking around. Um, but one of the things that Patrick and I are going to be intentional to do is we are going to try and find someone at one of the neighboring campsites to invite to come have dinner with us at our campsite one evening. Very good. Very good. And so today, as your invitation to grow, I'm going to ask you, when and where this week can you get outside of your norm? With whom can you share a meal so that you can be like Jesus, eating in community with those who cross your path? And now go this week with this benediction, a blessing that's meant to be lived out as you go about your week. May you go knowing that the God that loves you will also need you, will knock the hot air out of you, when the yeast has grown too large. May you go knowing that Christ will meet you in any place that you find yourself, the busy Martha or the ready to learn Mary. And may you go knowing that wherever you find yourself in the wilderness this Lenten season, that the Holy Spirit will be waiting to greet you with open arms. May you go in peace. Amen.